0: All right, tonight we're going to be in Isaiah 40, Um, but before we get started, I just want to say uh, I'm super thankful. Ethan and I are both super, super thankful for the opportunity tonight, and just this whole summer has been a blessing to both of us. Um, Like Pastor said, we have been able to serve in in so many different aspects, and just getting to know um, this church family and, and just being able to build relationships with each and every one of you, it's, just, it's been really good. It's been really beneficial for both of, uh, both of us, and we've learned so much from you guys. Um, so we, we want to thank you um, just for just this whole summer and, and allowing us to be here and worship and, and serve with you guys. Isaiah 40 is where we're going tonight, and I want to start off by asking a question. The question is, how many of you have been promised something in your life, but it turned out that, that promise never came true? So how many of you guys have been promised something, whether that was you were promised a job promotion, you, you were promised, I don't know, whether to go on, on a great trip or a vacation with someone, you, or even simply you were just promised, you know, a simple lunch or a dinner with a friend. And it turned out that that promise never came true, and, and that you weren't able to have that promotion, you weren't able to go on that trip, you weren't able to have that lunch or that dinner with that friend. A lot of us have experienced times in our lives where, where we've had a promise made to us and, and that promise has been broken. And I want you to think back and just think about those emotions. And There's, there's probably you know, anger, maybe, maybe bitterness, sadness, confusion. Maybe we asked ourselves certain questions like, you know, why would this happen? Did I do something wrong? Did I, did I say something wrong? And so we have a lot of emotions um, going through us, and, and this is very similar. Um, to the to the children of Israel in Isaiah, you see, Isaiah is split into um, two main sections. The first um, thirty-nine chapters of Isaiah talk about um, destruction, talk about judgment, talk about exile on uh, the people of Israel. You see, the people of Israel were in captivity; they were overtaken by the Babylonians, and they they were they were being punished and this is hard. This would be very hard for the children of Israel, but even harder, you see, God promised the children of Israel that they would become a great nation. God promised the children of Israel that they would have a king that would guide and direct them. God promised the children of Israel that God would come and establish His kingdom on earth. God promised all that to the children of Israel, but it seemed like from the children of Israel, from their perspective, that the opposite is happening. They're being overtaken by Babylon. They're being punished. They're in exile. And you can imagine the, the kind of questions that they might have been asking: like, has God forgotten about his people? Has God forgotten about us? Did he make a mistake? Did the Babylonians defeat God? These are all questions that were no doubt in the minds of the people of Israel. But here in chapter 40, here in chapter 40 of Isaiah, we see that God has not forgotten about his people. He has not forgotten about his people, and he has surely not been defeated. But instead, Isaiah wants us to remember that when in times of despair, and in times of hopelessness, and in times of defeat, we can behold our God. So the title of our sermon tonight is Behold Our God, Beholding the Greatness of Our God. There are so many times where we as Christians, we forget the kind of God that we serve. But this evening, I want us to remind us to behold our God by looking at, number one, His unlimited power, His unmatched wisdom, and His ultimate control. So first, I want to start off um, the, ultimate, the unlimited power of God. Read with me um, in Isaiah 40, verse 12. And for sake of time, I'm not going to be able to read every verse in this chapter, but I would encourage you to go back and read this chapter as it uh, shows some great truths about the greatness of God and who He is. So in verse 12, it says, Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and meted out the heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mounds in scales, and the hills in a balance. So we see the unlimited power of God. See, the dust of the earth, God is, God is able to measure that out. He's able to hold that in his hands. Um, there's, a, there's a verse in Psalms. It talks about God holding the whole world in the palm of his hands. Our God is great, our God has unlimited power. He can pick. He, can, he, knows, he knows all about his creation. He is the creator of all. We cannot comprehend his power. It is unlimited. In verse 26, verse 26 it says, Lift up your eyes on high and behold, who hath created these things that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by his names, by the names, by his greatness, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, not one faileth. This is talking about the stars. This is crazy to think about. We know there are a lot of stars in, in the universe. We know there are, are trillions and trillions of galaxies, and in each of these galaxies, there's billions and billions of stars. But the cool thing is, the crazy thing is that God knows each of these stars by name. Knows every single star. He knows their name. And each, each one of these stars is placed in, in the perfect position. Not one of these stars is, is out of place. And this, this just shows the greatness of God and how God, everything that He does is perfect. His power is unlimited. You see, astronomers estimate that there are about 100,000 million stars in the Milky Way. Just, this is just the Milky Way. New discoveries put the new total at about 2 trillion stars. And this uh, one day is going to seem laughably small. To put it into an even cooler perspective, about 285 galaxies. There are about 285 galaxies galaxies for each person walking this earth. If a person could travel one light year per second, it would nearly take 3,000 years to get from one side to the other. This, this is crazy. This blows our mind. See, I don't, I don't understand how we many times can take in these facts, we can read all these things about uh, creation, about the galaxies, and we, we not become amazed at the power of our God. Our God has unlimited power. I'm, if you don't know, I'm from Colorado, and Colorado has beautiful, beautiful mountains. I love to hike, love to hike, and a lot of the times my buddies will come out to Colorado to visit me, and I'll, we'll take them on a hike, and I'll try to show them um, just the, the cool spots of Colorado. And every time we go out on a hike, and, and most, of the, most of the time, my friends will always ask the question, man, bro, does this, does this ever get, like, boring? Does this, do you, do you ever just get used to this view? And every time they ask me that question, I, I have to respond, No. It, it never gets old, it never gets boring, because every time I see God's beautiful creation, when I go on, on my certain height that hike that is able to just overlook our, our valley, and, and it just shows the beautiful mountains, it always, it sobers me, because it points me to God's greatness. It just shows, the creation speaks of the greatness of God. It's, it's amazing. And even out here in California, I love the beach, absolutely love the beach. That's kind of why all of our bonfires have been at, at, the, at the beach for the, for the young adults. Uh, but the sunrise and the sunset of, at, the, at the beach is just phenomenal, and I hope that we never take for granted what God has given us, His creation. It's, it's amazing. He does not faint or grow weary. See God has unlimited power. He, he holds the, the waters um, of the earth in His hand. He, he holds the stars out. But yet, our God does not get weary. Our God does not get tired. Read with me in verse 29. 29 says, he giveth more, he giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increaseth. He he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. See, even though God created all this, he does does not become um, tired. How crazy would it be to ever experience... uh, to, um, how crazy, sorry, would it be to never experience you know, weakness or, or, or fatigue or being tired? A couple weeks ago, um, I was able to go run a Spartan with uh, Pastor Caleb, and I think, yeah, there's a picture of it. We look, we look better now because this was a couple hours after we ran the race, um, but let me tell you, like the moments after the race, we were exhausted. A lot of us were on the ground. We were rolling around trying to catch our breath. It was, it was insane, it was a cool experience, um, but we were exhausted, we were fatigued. And Pastor Caleb can attest to this, that no matter how hard you try to train yourself, to prepare yourself to, to run a Spartan or any race or any competition of that matter, when you finish, you're going to be exhausted, is that correct? You will be tired, you will be sweating, you will feel like you want to puke and vomit, and you will see stars, it's, it's crazy. But no matter how hard you try to prepare yourself, prepare yourself, you will feel tired. But isn't it crazy that our God, our God never feels tired. Our God has ultimate power. He is, he is, he never gets exhausted. I have a a quote. It says, how easy is it to believe in the infinite power of God and at the same time to feel that he is unable to meet our personal needs? How easy it's to believe in the infinite power of God and at the same time feel that he is unable to meet our personal needs. This, for me, this hits home because there's so many times when I go through um, struggles in my life and, and I tend to try to rely on my own strength but I forget that I serve a God that is so big. I serve a God that has unlimited power. He created He created me, he created the creation and yet I, I turn to my own self to, to try to get through the struggle. You see, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah doesn't show us all this. He doesn't show us that, that God is able to hold the waters in his hand, that he can hold the stars up. He doesn't show us all this just so that we are well-educated uh, about God. No, he shows us this to show God's greatness. He shows us this so that we can behold our God. This is, this is what is important. So we have seen the unlimited power of God. Let's look at the unmatched wisdom of God. Go with me to the end, actually to the end of verse 12, going back to verse 12, it says, um, verse 12 says, who has measured the water of the waters in the hollow of his hand? We looked at that. And meted out heaven with the span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills and the balance. It's really cool because this verse says that um, God, God knows the exact amount. He can calculate the exact amount of dust. You know, he knows the exact number. And I think going to the, going to the beaches and seeing all the sand and just knowing that God knows the exact number of that, it's kind of crazy. Because in Luke, we see, we read the verse that, you know, God knows the exact number of hairs on our head. We, we might be able to calculate that. It would take a, a very long time, but we might be able to do that. But there's no way that we would be able to calculate the amount of dust in, let's say, like in our car let alone the whole world. God knows that. God in his wisdom and intelligence, he is able to calculate the exact number. So yes, God is intelligent and He is able to measure the dust of the earth, but it is even more impressive that no one has given him counsel or taught him concerning these things. Go with me to verse 13. It says, Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him, with whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the ways of understanding. Isaiah is asking these questions like, who taught God? Who gave God counsel? And, but we, we know the answer. We know that no one has taught God these things. God is unma- has unmatched wisdom. We cannot, no one can compare to God, to his unmatched wisdom. You see, we have no reason to doubt God. We have no reason to question whether God is able to, um, capable of making the right decision for our lives. We have a Father who has unmatched wisdom, and He desires what is best for us. Not only does our God have unlimited power and unmatched wisdom, but finally we see that our God is ultimately in control, the ultimate control of God. This is my final point. Go with me to verse 23. Verse 23 says, Oh, we'll start in verse 22. It says, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as the tent to dwell. And again, this attests to the power of God. Verse 23, That bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. We are, we are shown in, here in Isaiah that princes and kings who have great authority are brought up and taken away by God. You see, Today, in our society, we have so many men, we have so many women, and they have so much power. They have so much control. They have, they have so much money. They're, they're over a lot, but, but, they're, but they're, it's still not compared to God. You see, God is in control of all that. God is the one who gave them all those assets, all that control. God can bring them up just as, or take them down just as fast as he brought them up. See, even though there are many men and women in this world who hold great power, an important position. God is still the one who lets them do what they do. Nothing on earth goes unseen by God. God sees everything. Nothing catches our God off guard. He is. He has unmatched wisdom. Going back to verse nine, you don't have to turn there, but it says Isaiah says that we are to behold our God. He, he commands us to behold our God, and this does not simply mean just to acknowledge God or, or to recognize that God exists. No. This means to study God, to study the greatness of God, to study his character and to know him better. See, when we do this, we cannot help but be left breathless because of the greatness of God. And when we see God's greatness, we should respond to him. And Ethan is going to come up next and show us how um, to live God's greatness out in our life.
1: So just like Shane said, he showed us how our God is great, but I want to talk to you guys about what change should that bring to our lives. But before I do, I want to introduce you to a little somebody. I think we have her picture. This is my baby sister. This is Emery. She's the sweetest, craziest girl ever. Actually just this morning, she woke me up by screaming, let it go in my ear. Loved it. It was awesome. But uh, this summer, we we went to the beach, we went to Florida, and uh, I think we have a picture of her swimming. She loved it so much. It was her absolute favorite. That girl would not get out. She she stayed in the water the whole time. But something I noticed is she only enjoyed the water. She only liked to swim and, and play in the waves and mess with the sand and seashells when there was me or another person of our family with her, right? She only enjoyed it. When we were with her. If, if I told her, no, Emory, go go play by yourself. No, Emory, like, I'm I'm gonna head in, like, you can stay here, she would cry and freak out till I went with her. But it's only when she had that greater power or that greater presence, she was as bold as a lion. I mean, when I was with her, we would go out to where I, I even I couldn't touch. And we would play and we'd have fun and we'd sing baby shark. But I I I thought about it, and we kind of need that in our spiritual life, right? We need to have that confidence. Emory, Emory had that confidence. My big brother Ethan's with me. So, so I'm not scared. We can go out as deep. So shouldn't we have that same confidence? Not in any person, not in your hero, not in your parents, but in our Creator? So that's our first point today. We can have confidence in our, in our Lord. Isaiah 40 verses 27 through 29. Says, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel? My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. So at this time, the holy city has been taken over by the Babylonians. Everything was going wrong for the Israelites. I can imagine they're asking the same questions that you and I do. Why? Why is this happening to me? Why us? Why do we deserve this? We're we're the called people of God. We should be victorious. And Isaiah says in 4027, what sayest thou? This is them questioning God. They were questioning Him. They were doubting Him. You see, the Israelites, they, they knew who God was. And, time and time again, the Old Testament's filled with God showing up in their lives. But oftentimes, they needed to be reminded of how great He was. Verse 28 tells us that He is everlasting God, and that He is the the Creator. All through the Old Testament, the Israelites always put their confidence in something else. They, They never looked to God, right? They would misplace their confidence rather than trust in the greatness. They would place it in a person, they would place it in a thing, or even themselves. And these people, when you put your trust in them, when you put your confidence in them, they will let you down time and time again. But you know who has never let us down? Our God. He comes up big every single time, and that is why He deserves our confidence. Another thing is, the Israelites wanted God on their time. They wanted to put God on a clock. They, they wanted to say, okay, Jesus, I prayed, I, 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 uh, I asked you for it, I'm not getting it, right? Verse 28 says, there is no searching of his understanding, right? That easily put is his understanding is unsearchable. There's no way that our finite minds can comprehend the greatness of God. So that's why we must put our confidence in him. I heard a really good illustration of um, William Jennings Bryan. I have have a picture of him. He was the attorney who argued for creation in the Scopes Monkey trial. Smart guy, argued against evolution, and here's what he said. I have observed the watermelon seed. It has the power of drawing from the ground and through itself 200,000 times its weight. When you can tell me how it takes this material and out of it colors an outside surface beyond the imitation of art and then forms in it a white rind, and within that again a side of red heart, thickly inlaid with black seeds, each one capable of drawing to itself 200,000 times its weight. When you can explain to me the mystery of a watermelon, then I can try to explain the mystery of God. And that's just a watermelon. We can be confident in His greatness. When we get tired, God never does. The Bible says that God fainteth not, neither is weary. God never takes a break. He doesn't just decide to take a day off, and that's when your life starts going bad. When you look to God in the middle of your storm, He will come through, and He will deliver you every single time. One really good definition of the word renew, we see that in verse 31, is exchange, right? You can exchange your weakness for His strength. So when you are saved, you're not only changed, right? You're exchanged. You're made completely new, and you can be confident in that new life. He's saying, hey, let me take your weakness just like I took your sin, and that is how confident we can be in our Lord. He wants to save us if we just place our confidence in that. When you feel weak, He'll give you strength. When you feel tired, He will energize you. When you cannot go on, He will pick you up and carry you. That is how great our God is and how confident we can be in Him. The second point we have is we can wait on His timing. Isaiah 40, 31 says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I can imagine the Israelites saying, wait? What do you mean wait? We're we're under oppression. We're being attacked. We're we're supposed to be the conquerors, and yet we're the conquered. At this time, they're in captivity to the Babylonians. The end is near. The the wolves are at the door, so to speak, and God is saying, wait. You see, wait here actually has two definitions. The first is a more obvious, simply put, it's waiting, right? One of the greatest things you can do in a storm is get alone with God and wait. Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, said in Proverbs 8.34, Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting by the the posts of my door. You see, this waiting is talking about a person who gets alone with God, sitting, patiently waiting for him to speak, patiently ready to do whatever he asks. The Bible says, be still and know that I am God. Our God is so great, and a lot of the times we think that he's not speaking or he's not listening to us, but that's just because we're not waiting the right way we should be. We want God to talk to us at, uh, at uh, 9 o'clock in the morning on the, the exact time that we need Him and the exact day that we ask, but that's not how He works. Now don't get me wrong, he, he can give immediate answer, and sometimes He does, but that's not often how things play out. Our God is an omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresence God, and we need to trust His timing and His way. When you wait on God, you're saying, I am dependent. I am helpless." You're telling him, you are the helper. I have confidence in you. Your will be done, and you will meet my needs. I think uh, there's an old song that says it best, trust and obey, for there's no other way. Christians, we need to be patient in the Lord. In His timing and in His way, He will come through, and He will show Himself big. When we, can, we can trust His greatness when we are at our weakness. My last point is we should be obedient to Him. We're also going to be in verse 31 for this, too. And now remember how I told you there was two meanings to the word wait? You you guys thought I forgot about the second one, didn't you? But this second meaning of wait isn't just a passive, doing nothing, just waiting for God to act. This meaning of wait is when you are waiting or while you are waiting, you continue to obey Him, serve Him, and walk with Him. This isn't just waiting on the Lord to, to show up big in your life. It means we are actively serving Him. We are actively doing something while we are waiting. I can illustrate it this way. Take people who work in a restaurant, right? Back in the day, they used to be called waiters or waitresses, and, and now they kind they of have a, have a different, different name, and that's servers. You see, this is a good switch, because what does a waiter do at a restaurant? Your waiter doesn't just stand there in a hypnotic trance, just watching you eat, waiting to get your food and your drink. That, That would honestly be really weird. That's not what he does. No, he serves you, right? He is there. He is there for one purpose, and that is to obey you, to take your order, and to fulfill that order. You see, while we're waiting on the Lord, we are to be serving Him, taking His order, and obeying His command. While we're waiting on Him, we should be serving Him taking his order and obeying his command. So let's look back at our text verse. It says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, when we're going through trouble, God wants us—God wants to take us to where he is. God wants us to see the, the bigger picture. He wants us to get his point of view. And you know what we see when we are at God's point of view? We see Him over the storm, controlling every lightning bolt and every thunderstorm that's coming at you. He is in control, and we need to be obedient to that greatness. How many of you guys know that eagles are some pretty impressive and powerful creatures? I have some eagle facts for you guys. Did you know eagles can fly up to an altitude of 10,000 feet? Their wings have 7,000 feathers. They can fly around 50 miles an hour and can go into a dive and reach a speed of 100 miles an hour. I learned one more really interesting fact about an eagle. You see, where other birds fly away from storms, eagles look forward to storms because they know that those thermal updrafts can cause them to soar and rise higher than they would ever rise before. A storm is no threat to an eagle because he rides above it and soars over it. In other words, a storm enables an eagle to see farther and fly faster. This is what God is trying to say to us in this verse. He's saying, as long as you're flying with me, as long as you are obeying me, you have nothing to worry about. You can soar with our Lord, you can soar with Jesus, only if you are obeying Him. Not only is He over every storm, but He is with us in every storm. Remember how we talked about His omnipresence? Meaning, He is everywhere at all times. So He is over every storm, right? But He's also with us in every storm. You know, sometimes life forces us to run, and, and it's, it's not a running that we can control. It just comes out of nowhere, and in order to keep up, we just have to run. And, and He's with us through that. God is promising us in this verse, you shall run and not be weary. He's promising you to give you that strength that you need to run. But not only is He giving you the strength and need to run, sometimes life's just a walk. Sometimes it's just a long stretch of next step, after next step, after next step. And and He's promising us power through that, too, and He's saying, hey, you shall walk and not faint. You can keep going, it's okay, but only if we are obeying Him. I heard a really good quote, and it says, God says, you be obedient to Me, you'll fly higher than the storm. Run faster in the storm, and you'll walk longer through the storm." Right? You'll be obedient to me, you'll fly higher than the storm. Run faster in the storm, and you'll walk longer through the storm. That is the greatness of our God in action. When these hard times come, we can rely on the greatness of God. Jesus is saying, be confident in me, wait on me, and be obedient to me, and I will deliver you through. You see, Isaiah reminded them, as we learned from Shane. Um, of God's unlimited power, God's unmatched wisdom, and the ultimate control of God. And that should lead us to change. And that change should be a confidence in God's greatness, a waiting on God's greatness, and obedience to God's greatness. As you go about your week, guys, let's make an effort—an effort to reflect on the greatness of God, and let's focus on remembering the change that we need to have because of it.
0: Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty.